Bet you I can hit a ball past that tree. Twenty bucks says you can. Hey, morons! I told you I want to watch the hockey game. Now cut the golf sissy crap and finish up in there. Relax. Think of it as a way to enjoy your grandma's possessions for another half hour. Oh my God! You got a hold of that one. I'd like to see you try it. Yeah, it's not as easy as it looks. Sorry, ladies, I'm not the golfing type. I'll tell you what. You hit a ball past my ball, and we'll go straight back to work so you can watch your precious hockey game. <laughs> Give me the stupid club. Look at this stupid thing. This is gonna be hilarious. Look how stupid. Gentlemen, welcome to the Fantasy Golf Podcast, the February edition, episode two. I'm your host, Andrew Skaggs. My co-host, Max Hillman, will not be joining us for this episode. Uh, Arthur Monsbach specifically requested no Max Hillman, just him and I. So, you know, what Arthur says goes, and that's just how life works, right? So we're going to go ahead and start off with a little bit of a recap. This first segment won't be overly long. Just a little bit of a recap of what's taken place over the first month of the fantasy golf season and the general PGA Tour season. Uh, look ahead at the uh, the upcoming month a little bit. Talk about some of the players who have performed well, uh, some that maybe haven't or haven't played at all. Uh, some movers and shakers, you know how it all is. And then the second half of the episode is a interview with Arthur Monsbach. Has already been recorded. Nice little hour and 12 interview. A lot of good topics. Strictly golf. No bullshit. Uh, So we thank you for tuning in. It is Wednesday, February 9th, 6.24 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 5.24 p.m. Pacific Time. So like I mentioned, we will start off with, similar to the the Fantasy Football Podcast, wanted to start off with a little bit of a general takeaway to this point of the season. And uh, and it's funny because when I first thought of doing this, uh, my first thought, having watched you know the season unfold to this point, is uh, was just to get angry, right? Because quite frankly, I'm very annoyed with who's been winning tournaments lately. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I enjoy when the big names win, when the big names win often. 
And uh, as much as, you know, good for Luke List and Tom Hoagie on their first career wins after being absolute PGA Tour grinders, that is awesome. It is nothing personal to them, uh, but I don't care. I never want them to win. So, uh, but I'm not going to take a turn down negative lane. I would just say that uh, it's been an interesting start to the season because, quite frankly, in Hawaii, was really pleased. You had Cam Smith dueling against John Rahm in, in Kapalua week one. That was pretty fun to watch. A lot of big names there. The next week in Sony, traditionally not that great of a tournament. You've got Hideki, another very well-established, good, well, young, probably not that young anymore, player. Um, Outdueling Russell Henley, who's been around, that's fine. I have no problem with Russell Henley being in contention. Uh, But on a great shot in the playoff there at Sony. So Hawaii was off to a good start. I thought to myself, all right, we got a Cam Smith win, a Hideki Matsuyama win. Solid, you know, good quality of name. Entertaining finishes, solid. And then we did get to the homeland, and, you know, that's where it set in with Hudson Swagford, uh, Luke List, and Tom Hoagie winning the last three events. Uh, you know, admittedly, the Farmers Insurance Open, uh, Tory Pines is really the, the one main one that I, you know, has a special place in my heart, naturally, having uh, been there. That was my first, very first golf trip with my mom. I uh, got to see John Rahm's first career win there, making Eagle on 18, as you've all seen the video of. So that one, you know, holds a special place, definitely uh, among the three, by far the strongest field, the most prominent tournament, things like that. Pebble Beach doesn't get that strong of a field, even though my boy Jordan Spieth plays in that and obviously came oh so close to winning. Of course, that's going to sour me a little bit, the fact that, uh, you know, he was up by a couple strokes with five holes to play. But Tom Hoagie, you know, he chased them down. He made birdies at the right time. He stuck one close on 16. Uh, so... Anyway, the general takeaway is is it's been an interesting season, and I think it's going to be a bit unpredictable. You know, there are just so many guys within our fantasy golf league that you can say your Tom Hoagies, your Luke Lewis as an example. Quite frankly, they could go as high as the 10th round, or they could go undrafted, and I wouldn't bat an eye at either of those outcomes because they are random PGA Tour golfers that look good some weeks and don't look good other weeks, and... There's almost no way to tell as to when they're going to be good or not in a given season, especially when it comes to trying to draft and project all this stuff forward. So um, I'm excited. I think we're really getting into the meat of the schedule here this week with the uh, the waste management open coming up. Um, but for a quick, uh, just quick little dive into kind of the, the general standings, uh, how things have gone to this point in our fantasy golf league. We do have Max Hillman in first place with nine points, Bosco with eight points, Jay with seven points, Arthur with five. Zach picking up his first two points last season, and yours truly with a big fat zero, not a single point through five weeks. Feels very good. Anyway, week one, Century Tournament of Champions, Arthur ran away with that one. Negative 117 was his score. Next closest challenger was minus 93. That was Bosco. And then Jay came in third that week. Over to the Sony, we had a a first place finish for Max Hillman, second place finish for Arthur Monsbach, third place finish for Jay, uh, and then some reoccurring names uh, you'll find here naturally with not a lot of me and Zach being up there. The American Express, Bosco came in first, Max came in second, Jay came in third. Jay just grinding out points on a weekly basis. That's exactly how you want to start your fantasy golf career here. Uh, Speaking of grinding out points, Jay then won the Farmers Insurance Open. Bosco came in second, Max came in third. And lastly, this past week at Pebble, Max came in first, Zach came in second, Bosco came in third. And not to be outdone, Jay got his single point from that HB3 win over in Saudi. 
Uh, that means Jay has secured at least one point in each of the five weeks to start the season. Again, congrats, Jay. Welcome to the league. Uh, I can't wait to get my first point so I can, you know, join you guys and, and talk about what that feels like. And then coming up, we have the Waste Management Phoenix Open. I know boys are excited for that. Boys will be in attendance for that. Wish you guys the best of luck on that front. Going to be a blast. Following the Waste Management Open, we've got the Genesis Invitational. Always a good time. Obviously a little bit more fun when Tiger's playing, but he is the host of that tournament. Usually another very strong field. We'll see. It comes out this Friday. Uh, and then a couple of Florida tournaments. The Honda Classic and the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Two classics, two tournaments, quite frankly, that I always remember because Tiger used to play them growing up. I believe the Honda Classic's not that strong of a field anymore. The Arnold Palmer usually is a pretty strong field. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, again, that's kind of a, that's when the, the tour kind of switches where all of a sudden we're done with the West Coast swing, done with Hawaii. Then we go over the East Coast for a lot of Florida action. Following the Arnold Palmer is the Players' Championship, but we don't need to discuss that too much. Uh, kind of the goal will be to go through four tournaments uh, in a given period and then record another podcast in between. Uh, so that next podcast that we do should be in between the Arnold Palmer and the players, give a nice little preview to the players, one of my favorite tournaments in the world. So we've got some good stuff coming up. As for some uh, kind of superlatives here in terms of uh, who's been who's been good, who hasn't, um, you know, things like that, you know, MVP, yeah, it's hard to say. So I would say my MVP so far is a combination of Tom Hoagie and Patrick Cantlay. Obviously, Max leads the leagues in points so far. Uh, Cantlay, for, for context, went 26 under in Kapalua. That was technically eight strokes behind Cam Smith, but that was definitely top 10. Um, he did not play in Sony, but then came back for the American Express, went 18 under, very solid, didn't play at Farmers, came back again for Pebble. So he's played three of the five tournaments. He was 15 under at Pebble. Has just been in, in contention. That's exactly what you're looking for, you know, from your first round pick. He's been in contention in every tournament he's played. And then Hoagie, not only with the win at Pebble Beach, but also a couple of weeks back at American Express, he went 21 under, must have finished maybe a stroke or two behind Swafford. Um, those are the only two that he's, well, he actually did miss the cut at Farmers, so um, had one one bad week. But, uh, you know, for someone that was, that was drafted as, as late as he was, um, that's definitely a big-time uh, start to his season. The 16th round was Tom Hoagie. Um, so those are going to be the co-MVPs for Team Max there. As for a least valuable player, uh, just so people know, I am just doing this off the cuff here, so I don't have anything planned. It's hard to say. I mean, truly what's been, I think one of the big themes, in addition to what I kind of talked about in the, the, the takeaway, is all these tournaments overseas uh, between Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and Saudi. I think those are the main three. Maybe there's been one other uh, European Tour one. Um, a lot of the big names, uh, some people like Rory McIlroy has not played in a single event that we've, that we've had this year. Uh, Brooks Kepka maybe in one event. DJ in one event. Um, Morikawa and DeChambeau seem like they've been over in, in the Euro, Euro Tour this whole time here. Victor Hovland's been over there a lot. There's just a lot of names where it's like, okay, well, I, that's why I'm really excited about the Waste Management Open because outside of DJ and Rory and Morikawa and DeChambeau not being there, you've got your Spieth, your JT, your Hovland, your Burns, your Cantlay, your Shoffler, your Finau, Matsuyama, Kepka, Rom, Louis, Webb Simpson. Um, should be a really strong field. Should be a lot of fun. So we're not going to give out a least valuable player. We'll just say that uh, the least valuable is the fact that some of these guys have not been playing in these tournaments. Uh, they've, in fact, been playing overseas. But I think right now is when it changes. 
just talked about the schedule moving forward. I think Florida helps a lot too. I think a lot of these guys, as most people know, live in Florida and that's where they, they have their, their main home where they play the most golf. So I think the reality is they kind of gear up for those tournaments as well. Not to say they don't gear up for the West Coast swing. Plenty of people obviously do play. Um, but I think a combination of waste management, Genesis Invitational, and a bunch of tournaments in Florida leading up to the Masters eventually. Um, I think this is the time where everyone's like, okay, we had our run. We might have gone over to, to Europe or, or the Middle East or whatever, get some cash, what have you. I think now is the time when everyone kind of refocuses, comes back. If they're not playing this week, I expect all those big names uh, to play next week. Maybe not DeChambeau because he's been hurt. Um, but really exciting stretch moving forward. And I'm fired up about that. So, yeah, that's kind of our quick recap. I think in episodes where, you know, Arthur doesn't demand uh, that Max Hillman isn't a part of the uh, the podcast, we'll probably do a little bit more prep work. We'll do a little bit more on uh, superlatives. Um, you know, kind of talking about we'll have a bigger sample size to the season to this point where we can kind of talk about, you know, who's been who's been a good draft pick versus a not-so-good draft pick to this point. Um, kind of dig a little bit more deeper into the uh, the individual team di- dynamics in terms of the uh, the participants here in the Fantasy Golf League. Uh, I'd love to say I'm fired up about the start so far, but I haven't been. Um, it's not just because of the random winners. It's because, you know, the whole no points uh, through five weeks thing. But we're going to bounce back like we always do. It's a big week. And on the other side of the commercial break, we will have the much-anticipated interview with Arthur Monsbach. Arthur. What's going on? You sound lovely. Is the quality coming through good? Yeah, it's nice and loud. I'm going to have to turn this down a little bit. Okay. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing well, man. How are you? Doing very well. Can't complain. How's the new job? Solid. So are there some days where you have to work late nights and then some days where you're doing the day shift? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Like today was 10 a.m. to 4.30, so we open at 11. But uh, people start as early as like eight or nine doing prep stuff. And then, uh, yeah, on Fridays and Saturdays, we're open until 2 p.m. or 2 a.m., sorry. And so basically any closing shift involves about an hour of stuff afterwards in terms of mopping and cleaning and stuff like that. Okay. Um, So, yeah, each day varies. Some midday, some like aren't open or closed, like Friday and Saturday this week, just 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. Just a solid chunk in the middle, slinging pies. Today's yeah. National Pizza Day, Arthur. Jeez, I didn't so. need another excuse. Okay, I might have to find a way to get a slice. <laughs> but I was just so, going to uh, say, like, I think um, it's, you know, it's one thing to work, you know, not like traditional hours. Like I did customer support working, you know, until 10 p.m. some nights, but to have to go you know, almost till 3 a.m. some nights and then like daytime during the other day, you know, that takes, that takes real agility. It does. Um, but, you know, with the shifts that go till 3 a.m., you don't start working until 7 p.m. So, you know, you can make a day out of it too. Okay. Um, I, all I would say is Saturdays, I haven't enjoyed that because Saturday's just a brutal day to have that like hanging over your head that like you go out about and do stuff, but also like that at 7 p.m. that you have to start working and be there. Right. Right. Like fr- Friday seems a little bit more reasonable because like everyone else is working on a Friday, so it doesn't feel as weird. Uh, but I also, it's been a couple of weeks since I've had one. It's not like every week I have a late night shift, so okay. it all varies. All right. Good stuff. Happy to hear it. Yeah, man. All good. I think the listeners will find that interesting as well. 
<laughs> I hope they do. We got a big yeah. following. Yeah. Um, should we get into some of these interview questions? Yeah, let's do it, man. They they were they were exciting. I was happy to read them. Yeah, some heavy golf content. Mm-hmm. Not that that should be surprising, but um, in in the fantasy football one, uh, it's usually a half half football, half like really oddball questions. <laughs> okay. A lot of those. I didn't. I didn't. You know. I didn't want to throw a ton of oddball questions at you. We wanted to just stick to business, you know? I mean, I'm just happy to get in a recorded space with you. That's going to be published because anyone that knows us knows, I think the world of your opinions. And I, I think specifically take pride in my ability to, I don't, I mean, pry them out of you. is a little bit excessive, but to get them out of you. Yeah. And, and, and I personally get shocked by your takes sometimes. <laughs> like, uh, what, what is the one, like, what, is it Manziel's the man, but, like, who's not the, like, I just oh, always yeah. get, I, what I was love, that one? I love Johnny and I hate Baker. Right, love Johnny, hate Baker. And, like, I didn't even know, you know, they're, like, the same guy to me. Um, or at least one, they were at one point. In one time. was actually, like, good at football and, like, cool, though, and the other one's not, is the thing. Um, which is crazy because like a few years ago i wouldn't have known which one you were talking about by getting that description good at football and cool uh, like I and been, even, oh. now, even now it doesn't make sense because like yeah. baker's still playing and johnny yeah, exactly. but i'm obviously yeah. referring to johnny as the one who was good right right um hey but we can take tangents if you want to get into non-golf stuff you want to get into football stuff whatever you want to get into let's you know i'm just happy to be here and you know happy uh you know a meeting like this is gonna be published Right. All right. So let's start with the first question here. Um, this is a, a question that I commonly asked uh, when doing the football one, kind of a state of the union uh, in terms of your team, obviously very early in the season, but you ran away with the century tournament of champion title uh, here in fantasy golf. You came in second in Sony. So Hawaii was good to you, uh, but you haven't scored a point in the last three events on the mainland. Uh, obviously early in the season, but talk to me about the state of your team this year, Arthur. Right. I mean, so I think the, uh, the, it's the century, the tournament of champions stacked yeah. field, obviously first event of our season, I win it. And so I have like massive confidence. I'm like, this is a huge field. These guys are fired up to play this event. I think you basically get everybody like did Phil not play. Like there was like one or two winners who didn't make it out. Maybe one got COVID. Phil, Phil, Phil played, but he Rory play. was the only one that volunteered. Okay, Rory did. Yeah. I know. I know Tiger didn't play the year before. Maybe I was thinking about right. that. Yeah. Um, so you did the stack field. You win it, and so I'm talking a bunch of I'm talking a bunch of S, right? I'm I, I'm all my good guys are playing. I'm talking about going wire to wire. Um, yeah. Shout out to the 2003 Giants who took the NL West wire to wire, and yeah. you know you, you can't. What's it? You can't uh, you can't play even golf unless you can't part of them all unless you part of the first. So that's kind of what right. I was going with. And then um, let's be honest, the Sony is not one of my favorite tournaments. Um, not the strongest no. field, uh, but you know, then you kind of keep it going with the second place there. And with the rest of it, I, you know, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to say if uh, just the tournaments themselves have been kind of weak and my, and my team's not as geared up for those, or yep. it's harder to say if there's sort of some structural problems within my team and you know, roster changes are going to have to be made before we get into this stretch of, you know, the five majors in five consecutive months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the reality is the, and we'll talk about this a little bit as well, but the Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Saudi stuff, like ever since Hawaii, there's been a lot of big names over there as well. So like, you know, and even guys playing well, like Cam Smith obviously was amazing the week, first week. I know he played in the Sony, didn't play great. Um, 
but I think the reality is that like, yeah, the, the, the tournaments haven't been that strong on the mainland yet. And yeah. And my team hasn't been too des Like when I look over at those fields, you know, I've seen Fleetwood over there, but it's not like all my guys are over there either. So I can't really right. can't point to all that right. as being like, Oh, okay. That's, you know, that's the main issue here. Yeah. All right, let's transition right into the next question. Kind of a good segue. Uh, you've been somewhat outspoken about the quality of tournaments that we've been playing through five weeks, which I agree as well. Uh, you're also one of the bigger advocates for the uh, single points in the Euro and Asian Tour. Uh, what's the perfect blend of participation between the two in our league? Okay, so like, let me just get this out of the way. Like, I'm loud, I'm boisterous. Like, I'm gonna make noise. Okay, so let's you know, let's at least you know uh, say twenty percent of what you hear is just coming from. <laughs> well, of course. Like, yeah, and, and the reality is, like I said, like some of these tournaments in the past, I would have just said like, hey, we're not on this week and not even asked about a vote. But I just keep being like, OK, well, let's see what everyone else thinks. And like, you right. know, we have enough guys to play. But I agree, like both the American Express and the uh, Pebble Beach are basically weren't strong enough for for us to be on compared to last year's or previous years. But yeah. OK, so sort of two questions here, like the Euro and Asian Tour points and then sort of these these weaker fields in the U.S., I'm definitely yeah. an advocate, you know, golf is golf. And, uh, you know, you threw in the Asian tour there. Like, I think the Saudi was technically. Yeah, the that was Asian the only tour. one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm usually not saying like, you know, these Asian tour events, we right. got to, we got to get them in the mix. Um, but, you know, you're a tour, the good field I'm all about. I mean, I think what, what I really would want to petition for um, is a formulaic way to determine which tournaments we're playing in a given season. It doesn't necessarily need to be predetermined preseason for me, but something formulaic. And something formulaic to determine the number of golfers that we're going to play each week. Um, that's what I kind of care about more. Um, I, like in my mind, like, yeah, like have we played? So the Amex was a little bit better this year. I know like Rom got there. He was recruiting some guys, but it was still weak. Pebble was like really weak this year. And we haven't played those in the past. Is that right? So we've done Pebble for sure. For okay. As long as I can remember. The Amex, I remember like well, I guess what the league's in its fifth year. I remember like two, three, four years ago, the Amex was actually pretty strong. Okay. But then kind of as it evolved, for whatever reason, maybe it was where it, maybe when they shifted the schedule around, whatever it was, it kind of ended up getting sandwiched between Hawaii and Farmers Insurance at Torrey Pines. Uh, previously, the waste management was before Pebble. But I think that had to do with the Super Bowl and the extra week in the NFL. Because um, I think they like the tradition of having the waste management before the Super Bowl on that Sunday, that weekend. Right. So anyway, I think several years in the past, the pe uh, Pebble comes after waste management. And therefore, you even get more of like Amex is right before Torrey Pines and waste management. So that, that's like kind of a standard one that people would skip. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely was a schedule change. What you said about to, to, if they push the Super Bowl back and to keep the waste management there, they had to do some shuffling. I mean, to me, it's less about the event itself and it's about the field. And mm -hmm. we're never going to know the fields for all of these in advance. And there definitely are some that right. are borderline. So, you know, one of the things that I was looking at, I don't have the exact formula yet. But if you look at the way the uh, world golf ratings work, they take into account like strength of field. Mm -hmm. And so I think actually Harold, my favorite player, uh, got more points for winning the Saudi than Hoagie got for winning Pebble. Yeah. Um, and that was because of strength of field. So I think if we switch to something like that, saying, hey, you know, the field has to meet this sort of minimum strength. Um, and I think they post those. A week. They're not official until the tournament happens because, you know, guys drop out. But they post yeah. them the week of. And I think we just you kind of looked at that and said, hey, you know, this meets our, our minimum threshold. Like, it's good enough. 
Right. Uh, because otherwise, then it's like we're rewarding just – I'm all about, you know, the, the middle of your pack guys playing well, but um, it kind of gets overweighted too much if, you know, you're accumulating too many points because your middle of the pack is just so much better than someone else's middle of the pack. Um, right. And you're not only getting the chance to utilize that that top that top of the roster. I feel you. And and what's nice is the strength of field stuff. I have looked into that a fair amount on OWGR, and it is like it could definitely be used in terms of historical data. In terms of like, oh, let's see what the strength of the field was last year, just to get a sense of what it's likely going to be. Um, and then yeah, in terms of like how many guys play each week and things like that, the schedule because I just copy and paste, you know, naturally the same document or make a copy of the same Google sheet. Um, it usually is kind of uh, set up to where I try to go through the entire schedule, at least I did this year, where like I had like five tournaments that were projected to be off weeks, and I had kind of laid those out as to when they would be. And then eventually when I looked at the field and like asked for a vote, that's when we put it in, like with the Amex, which is kind of funny too, because I still only have an iPad now. So like adding another tournament is actually a pain in the ass because it's just a lot of copying and pasting on a non-computer. <laughs> I think we need a, yeah, I think you saw my, in my pre-show notes, the question about innovation. Maybe we'll address that. Yeah. That's when that question um, comes up. But I, I agree. I, I like the idea of kind of having a better sense or a threshold in terms of strength of field. Um, and still, you know, providing points if you have a guy that wins that tournament, that can still definitely definitely definitely. You win a tournament um, on the tour, you get you should get a point, right? Um, and so we can definitely have that. But I like that. Uh, through in 2020 to capture your first fantasy golf championship. I was actually just looking through the record book earlier today. It looks like uh, two last place finishes and a fifth, but then that one year where you broke out. Uh, what was that moment like for you and your team? That was awesome. That was actually a crazy fantasy year for me. Um, I won fantasy golf. I won my big high stakes, like fraternity fantasy football league. Mm -hmm. I won in 2021. I played in a pool where you drafted players or who was going to score the most points in March Madness. Um, I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I, I won that. And then also the 2021. So this is last year, the Super Bowl. So Buccaneers, Chiefs. I won on a $50 square. I only bought one square, $50, and I won the game. And I also won the third quarter because there was no score in the fourth. Uh, so I, it was kind of like a crazy year in fantasy sports. Um, the golf one was awesome. Uh, you know, for a newer league, being a first-time champion is fantastic. I'm trying to be the first of three in this league, but so that's a personal goal I've set. Mm -hmm. There is definitely also probably – I don't know what the exact term is. I think it's like gambler's fallacy where – I was pretty convinced, you know, that my uh, strategy and who I picked and the moves I made like led to winning. But I think if you see my other results, it probably isn't as much as that. Probably a little bit more random luck of the draw. But um, no, it's a, it's a, it's a. What do we get? We go September. I mean, sorry, we go January to September. So it's like a nine month yeah. investment of time and thinking about it. And I definitely, um, I remember the time thinking like. I'm not going to celebrate until it's clinched. I almost wanted some like live scoreboard where like I knew for sure that it was out yeah. of reach at a certain point, but uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. And I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping number two comes this year. Love it. Can't wait. I'm just hoping to score my first points of the season. Yeah. Geez, let alone a championship. Do you know what's going on there? I mean, how's the guy who uh, like, are you in your own head or is it just bad luck? Like what's going on here? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, I, I, have no problem with my team on paper. Um, I mean, look, the reality is our last three winners have been Hudson, Swagford, Luke List, and Tom Hoagie. So if those guys are going to win tournaments, I'm not going to do well because I'm never going to pick guys like that. Um, a bigger picture, what's your career resume? 
<laughs> I think I got a couple second place finishes. I've never okay, finished okay. never finished worth, worse than fourth, but it's okay. always just been middle of the pack. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, middle of the pack and then so slow yeah. start this year. Yeah, so we're figuring it out. This this week's going to be telling. If we go another week without, because I haven't even really been that close. Maybe like a couple like strokes away from a couple third places, maybe. Um, but I haven't even been like in the mix really, other than maybe on like the first day or something of a tournament. But uh, this week's going to be a big one. Speaking of this week, Arthur, what are you looking forward to most about the Waste Management Open? Yeah, I'll be there. Second time for me. I know. Um, I was there with you last time I was there. Right. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, it, it's almost sort of shocking. You know, I know it's like this is, you know, like the, you know, the biggest for the fan experience, but it's almost so shocking, like how far and away whatever second place is. Right. Like, this is like the number one fan experience. Like, what's the number two fan experience in golf? <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so like, other, other, than of... the, other than the Ryder Cup, of course. Yeah, the Ryder Cup is a good example. Like, um, but yeah, other than the Ryder Cup. So, that's always kind of shocked me. It's like kind of in a, in a league of its own. Uh, and the jump from number two to number one is so big. For me, I just love seeing professional athletes sort of break that, that fourth wall and, you know, engage with the fans and stuff. And I love when they're pumping up the fans on the hole and, uh, sorry, on the 16th hole. And, and uh, being a part of that, I just think it's, yeah, just so cool to sort of be able to uh, connect with them. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see them do that. And then excited to see my, my guy, Harold Varner, play. I don't yeah. know if I have, like, the biggest expectations. The guy just won a million-dollar check in Saudi and was probably celebrating that for a little bit. And now he's going across the world. So um, yeah. I think made cut would be a, a great goal for him. But uh, hopefully can connect with him, get a photo, and, and give him a congrats. Yeah. Absolutely. That is funny about the, yeah, playing the week after you win a tournament. It's like, in one, on one hand, your form is very good, but it's just such a hard track record. Every time someone wins, it's like, there's just going to be an emotional letdown usually the following week for whatever reason, you know, whether you're yeah. actually physically tired or not. It's just like, it's just so difficult to play really well back to back weeks, unless you're. Yeah. At least he's like, going like ready. desert to desert, I guess. But, yeah. you know, he's got a. And I think like he plays first... there well there usually, right? Yeah, I think I think he has like two top tens or two top fifteens in the last three years with a miscut sandwich in between, something like that. Okay, solid. So, uh, finish this golf threesome: Harold Varner yeah. the third, yourself, and who else? Why am I playing as a threesome? I don't know. We can go four. Do you want to add two to that? I was yeah. I was almost maybe in my head when I made the question. I was thinking of like you're in a PGA event, and so. Oh, <laughs> I, I but, see. But, but I like the idea of adding two. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking about this. So there's two people who I just feel like you hear a lot about their reputation on the golf course. And that's Michael Jordan and Donald Trump. <laughs> yep. So like Jordan, like I think from the last dance, you just hear about like how into the gambling <laughs> he is and getting in people's heads and how seriously he takes it. And so like, I just think that would be, completely uh an amazing experience and then with trump i mean i think rick riley wrote a whole book about how he like cheats in golf and stuff and so if someone's writing a whole book about you and, and like your golf game and you're not a golfer um that probably would be a pretty fascinating to, like, you know just see for myself like how blatantly this guy is sort of like bending the rules so that's my right. that's the force on me hv3 mj and uh trump incredible yeah, that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the last dance was just like <laughs> how committed he was to spending every hour that he wasn't playing basketball on the golf course. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. So sick. 
or even like after games or maybe it was like i forget if it was like when they're in barcelona it was like hey we've got a little bit of daylight let's go squeeze in some holes or like whatever it was it was just like that is so awesome i can't remember if this was in the documentary i think i was reading about it but he has a course in florida the grove or something and uh-huh. he, he specifically built it so like towards the end of it you can like play a few of the holes backwards in case you need to break a tie for gambling reasons and don't want to have to replay a hole yeah and that's just legendary <laughs> yeah and then he also like set it up for like i don't know whether he had small left to right or right to left but basically in favor of what he does <laughs> <laughs> that's next great. level um how's your golf game arthur man not not good i mean um mm. Yeah, you know, I've set golf goals. I think the last two, maybe the last three years, and I've reported back on them. I actually haven't reported back on the 2021 ones yet. And honestly, it's because I was just a little bit uh, dumbfounded. I like just big steps backwards, unfortunately. Um, kind of, I've identified uh, basically like in the last few years, like my handicap has gone up three strokes. It gone up three strokes worse. That's that gone up three strokes, and it hasn't been from from lack of playing. Um, I do think recently, though, like I've sort of corrected some things and I, I have to work on the consistency but i've seen like much better shapes to my shots and better trajectories and i just need to work on the consistency so that's kind of been bright but yeah besides that like definitely not excited with how the game has trended um still sort of hopeful to turn that around but know that like just doing the same thing is not going to be what does it right and you still play pretty often yeah i'm probably playing um I mean, it goes in and out. It's winter now, although it's 70 plus here in San Francisco today. Sick. But yeah, I'm probably still like on a good uh, three month, three months around. Sorry, three rounds a month pace. Okay. Um, what's the next course on your bucket list that you haven't played before? I think it's, I think it's been St. Andrews. Um, yeah, just reading about Bobby Jones and kind of him going there and them almost like sort of adopting the, him as one of their own, you know, an American. But, uh, you know, the, the Scottish people and the people there. And I hear so much about, like, it just kind of being, like, a one-road town and all about golf and, and the history there. I think they're having – is it this year, the 150th British Open will be at St. Andrews? Yep. Um, so my, my dream sort of trip is to uh, go to, to uh, an F1 race at Silverstone or just go to the track and drive around. Then go up – In Scotland? No, that's, it, that's in England. Okay. Um, yeah, I think maybe a few hours outside of London. And then head up, go to a soccer game at Anfield, watch Liverpool play because they've kind of been talking about new stadium stuff like that. So I'd want to make sure I go there before they uh, move or, or tear it down. And then yeah, go play St Andrews, the the home of golf. Have you been to an EPL game match? Yeah, I've been to one. I went to Tottenham. I saw Tottenham play at the old White Hart Lane against Sunderland on the final day of the season in 2013. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, I saw Clint Dempsey. Nice. Love it. Um, any any other courses that you could think of that's more like in the near future, like on the state side, if you will? Like anything in California that you have your eye on? Nothing is really popping out. You know, people like some of these courses I'll be on. You know, so I got I got really lucky in twenty in the year twenty twenty. Um, I got to play Pebble Beach. I got to play Spyglass Hill. I got to play Spanish Bay. Um, and I remember turning to my partner, Max, and being like, man, you know, those are awesome, but we're paying a lot of money to get our butts kicked because they're tough courses. Right. Uh, and so kind of, I, I kind of want to get a little bit better. And, and I think playing these courses is a privilege no matter what. But I think also, you know, there's something to like earning the right of playing them. And, and yeah. uh, so I want to get a little bit better. And yeah, nothing's really sticking out too much uh, 
stateside, but uh, yeah, St. Andrews has been one on my mind for a while. I'm trying to think, what's the one in Alameda that everyone talks about? Corica, yeah, Corica. That's an awesome play. That. Yeah, I played the South Course there. They they just opened, I think, the front nine on the North Course. I haven't got a chance to play that yet. I'll probably wait till it's all eighteen. But that's yeah. that's a sweet facility. I, I kind of tell everybody, hey, go check it out. Yeah, I remember that because when I was in Berkeley, I never got a chance to play it just because mm-hmm. it was always so busy where it was like two weeks in advance. And yeah, it's never happened. It is tough getting tea times these days, no doubt. Yeah. Um, that's all my questions, Arthur. Nice. All right. Well, now for the fun part for me. <laughs> now, now, now you're in the, the, the grill zone. You ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Commissioner Sky. So the first thing I wrote down, I don't know how much chance you to look over these but i want to talk about the league a little bit i looked at him this morning i'll admit i had about three minutes of getting home and then firing up the podcast but um i got i got ideas on everything. okay listen this this kind of lasted a while last year but there was some <laughs> real flirting with the idea of you giving up your role as commissioner i mean you sent out some some strong threats i guess so hey we know what's going on now you are the commissioner what yeah. went into the decision to stay on board? I think ultimately, once we got through last season, I think I felt a lot better. And then once I was kind of looking in my head, like, oh, like I'm really looking forward to the next year of golf. I think there was a couple of things at play. Uh, I mean, number one, on a personal level, I hated last year. And so anytime I would have an outburst, I was probably upset about my own life and therefore <laughs> would just fire out an angry text because that was just an easy way to, because that was just the mood I was in. Um, but then also at the same time, I think it was a little bit different with the whole COVID deal, right? Where it wasn't like a very consistent, we're, we're on from January to September, it was like <laughs> we were on all the way through, right? We had like a mega season, just like the PGA Tour. Oh, uh, that's right. I kind of forgot um, about that. So I think there was just kind of a lot of moving parts on that front. Not that I think that, that necessarily made the commissioner part more difficult necessarily. Um, but I feel like we were, yeah, we were on for longer than normal. Um, and who knows? I don't really remember. I, I remember making threats about it, part of it, kind of like what you Oh, said. they were serious. Um, I know they were relatively serious, but like the same way in you giving shit about like the quality of the tournaments, it's also me just <laughs> stirring the pot and just saying shit and threatening stuff. And then like when Colin's in there, I like to just like throw some stuff out there, like Colin and I are quitting there, you know, yeah, stuff like that. And I well, actually didn't, yeah. I didn't expect Colin to bow out, to be honest, even though I respect his decision. I think was he was did fine, he bow but... out or was he forced out? No, 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 he bowed out. He voluntarily wanted out. Were you happy um, with that decision? I was only in the sense that I think his interest was waning and therefore, and I was definitely like, don't get me wrong. I don't mind texting out like the lineup reminder part. I get that. It's not always, you're not always going to remember. Um, but for him, it was like basically every week. And then like half the time I was just setting his lineup for him. And I was just like, and like, it's only at that point, like, cause everyone knows with fantasy football, like it's only fun if you actually like care about it and are into it. And so like, to me, I was just like, Hey, look, I kind of, I didn't, I never said this to him before he like, said he wanted out but i was like in my head i'm like it's kind of clear that like you're not that interested anymore like you're just kind of doing it because you feel obliged because we're all you know halfway through the league or whatever um so i think at some point he might come back might get the itch for it i think he, he likes golf i think the fact that we don't live together anymore means you know he doesn't watch very much golf anymore naturally um because he kind of has to pick and choose his spots as far as watching the warriors and cu stuff and things like that but um no i think it was a good decision 
Plus, so, we got to bring on Jay. Yeah. Before we get there, though, you just you just uh, said something. Maybe he'll come back. Are you implying he has an open invite to return to the league? I mean, yeah, if he expressed interest. Interesting. Uh, and is that is that a decision you would make uh, yourself, or would that take no, approval from other members? I, I wasn't under the impression that was on the table. <laughs> to be honest, I hadn't thought about it at all. The only time we had even hinted at it was when we talked about the Netflix thing and if he would get back into it the way he got into F1. Uh, um, I would run it by. I think the position I've taken now, um, not that I ever thought that it was a dictatorship by any means, but I think the position I've taken now is I just want everyone to vote on stuff because like, I'm kind of indifferent. I, like My role as commissioner of a lot of these leagues Quite frankly, it's just like that everyone else is happy, and I don't. I don't really care one way or the other on a lot of topics. Okay, <laughs> I'm so not we... nearly as passionate about some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my my next thing I was going to say was like, in my eyes, the league's been a big success. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's been great. Yeah, I think I noted high engagement from the team owners. The t- sorry, the team governors. I like to use the NBA. The NBA. Yeah, yeah. Owners is a tough word. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, governors. Uh, almost perfect renewal rates. I think we lost <laughs> one person in, what is it, year four or something like that, year five, Colin, and it was quickly replaced. Yep. But this league, very little innovation. Um, yep. I mean, you just mentioned it's hard for you to add an event, uh, which is like a crazy, you know, a crazy thing to think about in 2021. We're still off the Google Sheet. So, yeah, let's just say, you know, you had the resources to do it. How would you, How would you modernize the league? It's a good question because I really do like having it on the Google Sheets. And if there was, don't get me wrong, if there was a platform that could replicate what we do very easily and like be as smooth as like an ESPN or a Yahoo fantasy sports type of experience where you're just like dragging and dropping players and it tells you who's playing and all that kind of stuff and keep score for you, of course, that would be a dream. Um, but I really like the Google Sheet thing. I like the flags are huge for me. Seeing the flags on the, the flags. Team is a, a massive selling point for me. Um, I'm a very simple guy. I always tell people I grew up using Microsoft Excel and never doing formulas or anything like that. This is well before the internet existed. When I was a young kid, I would make fantasy rankings. I would rank college basketball players. I would do everything on my computer in Excel. I just enjoyed, and it's, again, never the formula stuff. I enjoy like resizing the columns, making them color coded, like all that kind of funny shit. Um, and so this has kind of been an extension of, of my youth to a certain extent. Um, so I like the way it is. It's, it's hard. Yes. In theory, I could learn some function, but that won't actually save a lot of time for me. Like when it comes I actually had to- that question. <laughs> I think you just answered the question I was going to ask. Well, well I was going to say, what is the question? Actually, no, <laughs> go ahead. Do you know how to use the sum function? No, I don't. Um, how long do you think, if I if I taught it to you, how long do you think it would take for you to see it, do it yourself, and then maybe even have the ability to explain to somebody else who doesn't know how to do it? I don't know. I'd have to see how it looks. My girlfriend has offered to teach it to me as well. We just haven't gotten into that yet. But uh, Andrew, um, Andrew, I'm just letting you know, I think it would take you less than 60 seconds to learn it. Okay. I know. I mean, I know it's as simple as putting in a formula and, and a couple other things. Um, what's funny is once I actually record the scores from, say, the PGA Tour app, the actual addition of the scores, not difficult. So, like, yeah. to me, that's part of the reason I haven't, like, leaned into it more is, like, I don't really have a problem with adding them. 
Sure, some of the tournaments where everyone's going low, there's some high numbers, and then it's not as easy to just do it off the top of my head. Um, and then the one other thing that I would really want to make sure once I do learn it is what I always find is it doesn't always reflect properly an update when I change the scores. Like I still am manually doing it to double check because it doesn't, It maybe the formula gets thrown off a little bit once the scores have changed. You know, where like it's not dropping the bottom two scores on, on purpose or, or what have you. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think there's some, there's some thing like you, you should learn. I think that's, it's so straightforward. You should yeah. learn. I do think what you're talking about though, having a, 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 a formula that's more flexible to our exact scoring system would take a little bit more time to set up and is possible. Um, but that's less straightforward and that's, you know, that that's more advanced. Right. And then, yeah, if, if there was a website that did it all, that wouldn't be bad. Truly the hardest part in terms of, and certainly my new job factors in, in terms of odd hours, but one of the difficulties in as much as I think, I think we've been pretty good on scores this year and in some years are better than others. It just is what it is. But the reality is, is like when it's like a Friday evening and then a Saturday evening, those can just be very difficult if there are social plans Especially if, you know, say a tournament doesn't end until six, seven, eight at night, Pacific time type of thing, right? Obviously, when it's on the East Coast, it's a little bit earlier, like a right after work type of thing. Um, but I do find, and I definitely, you know, in the past when I've, you know, struggled to keep up with scores sometimes, a lot of it's just like, yo, sorry, I've got plans tonight. And I'm like, not going to sit down at my computer for 20 minutes and do this because there's just other things going on. Um, but I think it's been a little bit easier to, to keep up with that. The last thing I would say on the uh, kind of the innovation and the modernizing it, honestly, the only, the, the main things that I've thought of that, that at least, you know, if everyone was, was interested in it, you know, I would float by people is a, an actual playoff at the end of the season that I've always thought about just in the similar vein of, of, you know, fantasy football, as much as it's fun that we, you know, have everyone, all six of us competing against each other. And it's a little bit of an EPL style, right? Where it's just a season long race and that's that. Um, but I do think it would be kind of interesting to have like head to head matchups in the playoffs during like the FedEx Cup playoffs. Yeah, or, that'd be cool. Um, I have had, you know, random other people express interest in joining the league as well. And so, like, you know, you could in theory push that number from six to 10 and all of a sudden have, you know, head to head matchups on a weekly basis and things like that. Now, I think that would drastically change, you know, be such a different thing than what we have going with the, you know, six competing against each other and the top three getting points. I wouldn't necessarily advocate for adding more people to it. Uh, but those are just some of the things that I've at least thought about. Um, but yeah, I haven't put any action towards it. No, love the idea of a, of a format change with the playoffs. Um, the, the, you know, the ESPN uh, service software, if it was available. So just, just to be clear, if that was available and it did exactly what our league, the exact same scoring, add drop players, all that sort of stuff but it didn't have national flags. <laughs> Would we switch or no? Uh, if the UI was easy enough to use, then yes, probably. Okay. The U- right. UI is big for me. Right. Um, so yeah, but I don't, I don't mind that. It, it's truly become pretty easy to upkeep nowadays because whenever a new season starts, I just make a copy of that sheet for the following season. Like the 2023 golf sheet's already created and out there with like the whole schedule and everything. So then it's just a matter of kind of inputting the data. Um, so anyway, the upkeep has gotten, I think less than maybe near the beginning of the, when it started. Okay. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, let's go to the media side of golf. Oh, my favorite topic. EGA tour live <laughs> ESPN plus. I mean, you are one of yeah. the top consumers of live golf that I know. 
Um, we've all had our share of issues with the way it's covered. I think NBC's coverage of PGA Tour Live was also involved in in those uh, concerns. But now mm-hmm. what we've, we're like a month and a half in, PGA Tour Live on ESPN Plus, they have the main feed, feature holes, feature groups. What are your initial reactions? I think it's been outstanding, Arthur. Um, I'm happy to hear that. That's so comforting to hear. Um, It has been a game changer. And I've been hard on ESPN Plus because prior to, but I think they put some more money into it as well. Uh, What's funny is I was an ESPN Plus subscriber before the PGA Tour Live switch and before NHL became on ESPN Plus. So that was a huge come up for me because those are two of the things that I watch more than anything now is hockey and golf. So all of a sudden that just gets thrown into my subscription, which is awesome. And then I had a fair amount of technical difficulties, maybe not nearly as much as NBC Sports app, but ESPN Plus still had a fair amount of issues, in my opinion, where like, especially when I'm like Chromecasting from my iPad or something like that, constantly having to uh, remove the app and then reopen it, things like that. It has gotten a lot better. And it seems like they maybe put a little bit more money into just because like part of the reason that I love YouTube TV so much, and I do love Fubo as well. In my limited experience with Fubo, it's been very seamless as well. But part of what I love so much is it has like zero technical issues from like a Chromecasting perspective or even just watching a stream. Like it's not glitchy. It's not, there just aren't issues, right? And so that's where I got frustrated with both ESPN Plus and NBC Sports where you just constantly have to reload the app or the connection wasn't working or whatever, or it would just say like, oh, there's an error. Um, so ESPN Plus seems to have solved some of that uh, from a technical standpoint. The only small error is that like sometimes the audio starts playing on my phone while it's also on the TV, like as if it's like, you know, hitting play on my phone as if I'm watching it there. That's obviously a first world problem. Um, as for the coverage itself, I think it is great that they have a main feed on ESPN Plus. That's a massive upgrade. from. We didn't have that before, right? No, no. It was it was as simple as. So it's main feed featured groups, which is what we're traditionally used to as featured groups. Marquee group, which is just one group that they're showing all their shots of. And then the featured holes. They would do some featured holes from time to time, I think, on, on PGA Tour Live on, on NBC. Um, and I never watch featured holes, if I'm being honest with you, unless, like, my favorite golfer, you know, is coming around to that hole and they're not on, you know, other coverage. Something like that. Um, but favorite I golfer? Think, uh, it's speed. Okay. You can just say that next time. Well, what I, what I always say is Tiger is my favorite golfer. He's in a, his own category. <laughs> and then I kind of start talking about my favorites because he's like, a, you know, in a league of his own. He's the only reason I, you know, I'm so into golf, watching him at a young age. But um, yeah, I think the main feed's been really good. I think the commentary has been really solid. I think the camera work has been much better. Sometimes, because you got to remember, PGA Tour Live and like NBC Sports Gold were separate entities. Um, so it's always produced by PGA Tour Live. It just depends on who they partner with to actually show the feeds. Right. Um, but they used to struggle a lot with just like graphics and like you, you'd, uh, you know, I, as you said, I, I consume a lot of golf content. I can't tell you how many times I'd watch a guy and they'd be like, oh, for bogey. And I'm like, that's not right. He's not putting for bogey. You guys literally showed all the shots. Like, <laughs> like I know exactly what he's hitting for, you know, but then as a consumer, you get confused because you're thinking, did he go out of bounds somewhere that we didn't see? Did he have to drop when he didn't show it? Something like that. So I think they've been much better, better graphics, better announcers. I think the made feed's nice. Um, it, honestly, I would take ESPN plus coverage over golf channel coverage. I almost wish they would just stay on ESPN plus and wow. then just cut out golf channel. Cause they're just such a fucking disaster. And then just go straight to CBS and, and NBC when it comes to the weekends. That's but, an indictment. 
So are we getting the same commentary teams that we were getting when it was on NBC or is it? Some. I know Billy Crafter was on both. Um, yeah, they just kind of have a funny way about them. I always enjoyed kind of the commentary on the PGA Tour Live guys. They were a little bit lighter. They would make their funny jokes. But, like, the reality is when you're, you know, the commentator for a feature group and you're there with them for, like, four and a half to five hours, you got to make it light. You got to throw out some random little stories, little, you know, kind of funny anecdotes, things like that. So I always liked them, but they just seem like they've got it more dialed in for ESPN+. Plus who who was the female commentator who uh, she used to play? <sighs> That's a good question. I, I don't know. But Do you know I've what I'm talking her. about? Yeah, I've seen her yeah. and I like her. Is, is she still around? Yeah. Okay. Are we talking about on ESPN Plus? I, I thought she was on PGA Tour Live last year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know who you're talking about. Obviously not Dottie because she's on CBS. No, right? no, no, who no. I also This is a former player and, and younger. Uh, probably in her I think 40s. The, or but Dottie used to play though, right? Oh, I didn't realize Dottie used to play. Should I, do so. a, should I do a quick search right here? Okay. I mean, um, but I, obviously I can she play, but like, would she? I can picture who you're talking about. It's like a yeah. short-haired blonde woman. Uh, uh, the woman I'm thinking of is Asian, actually. Oh, oh, Christina Kim. Christina Kim. <laughs> she was awesome. She was so great. Oh yeah, wait, almost... wait, just no disrespect to Dottie Pepper. Uh, not only does she golf, two-time winner of the uh, ANA Inspiration, ninety-two, ninety-nine. So. Uh, yeah, apologies to to the Pepper, to Mrs. Pepper and her family. Um, yes, Christina Kim. I have not heard her lately. Okay, that's uh, what I was looking for on on PJ Tour Live. But yeah, it was about a year ago today, uh, this week, when she was doing the Waste Management Open, and she was just just the way she was describing the way Spieth was playing and other people. She was just, <laughs> just talked about it, like, like not sexually, of course, on purpose, but like you could just tell she was just getting so excited. It was funny. She's passionate about these players, no question. That's right. I mean, I think what you were saying about um, PGA Tour Live and the Switch makes sense. I definitely, I was definitely happy because, you know, I hadn't, I'd also been a long time ESPN Plus member. They have Ivy League Sports, got to watch Cornell basketball, Cornell hockey, Uh, home of the FA Cup. Yeah, FA Cup, uh, US Open Cup, uh, USL Championship. So that's been good. But I think the, you know, when you look at streaming platforms, there's Netflix and then there's Disney Plus just in terms of numbers of, of subscribers. So clearly the Disney ESPN umbrella has made a massive investment into the technology side. So I was excited about that. I, you know, was, that, that was a concern for the NBC side. And yeah. then, yeah, you know, I'm sort of hearing what you're saying about you think there's better commentators. The graphics seem like they're doing a better job. It seems like there's more cameras, probably more towers. So if you kind of, you know, improve a little bit across every dimension, that really does make first a better viewing experience. Yeah, and what really set the tone was in Hawaii the first couple of weeks when they weren't full on. They were very, you know, transparent about that, saying, hey, we're just doing the featured groups and then you'll get the full package basically once we're on the mainland. Even when they had the featured groups, they would still show other shots. And it was awesome. Like, not just like how they used to do on NBC Sports where it was like, oh, well, your guys' featured group hasn't started, so we'll show, you know, everyone play the first hole until a featured group gets there. Like, they'll actually, like, on the fly, be like, hey, so-and-so is playing well, or so-and-so is in the lead. Let's go show a couple shots of his. Like, which seems like such a normal concept as, like, a consumer. You're like, obviously, it's like a golf tournament. Whoever's doing well, try to show them. But, like, they would actually be like, hey, this is our featured group between these two, but we're also going to show you a fair amount of shots of these guys because they're right behind them, and we'll just throw some cameras back there as well. So just, like, I mean, that's obviously not innovative again. Like, I think anyone with a brain would be like, yo, you guys should have been doing this the whole time. But it's kind of nice to be like, hey, look at that. We're being flexible. 
Um, and so that, that was a big telling point early on. It was like, hey, look at that. We're not actually only going to show the feature groups. We're going to show a little bit of other, other stuff too. I mean, my hope is that the executives, you know, at Bristol for ESPN and where's the PGA headquarters? Florida, Texas? It's uh, Ponte Verde. Okay, okay. It, you know, and the executives in Ponte Verde, Florida. Like, my, my hope is that they're looking at all of this and, you know, trying to put the puzzle together of how much does it really cost to do more coverage? Obviously, you know, you need more people in the towers controlling those cameras. I think, you know, the coverage this weekend on, on ESPN Plus, it starts – I mean, it starts at 6.15 a.m. Uh, on the West Coast. So it's like at 7.15 mm-hmm. locally and goes all the way till 5 p.m. locally. So that's, you know, you need multiple shifts of I'm people. I'm like, about that. Yeah, I mean, so there's definitely like big cost, but I'm hoping they're sort of, you know, they're looking at the cost benefit analysis and, um, you know, thinking about how much does it really make sense to invest in this and and not just sort of saying, ah, you know, four hours in the morning, three three cameras, sounds right. Yeah. Um, which is sort of my fear. But, you know, I think... Um, I'm hearing when I look on Twitter, I'm, I'm seeing uh, good reviews. So I'm hoping that just means more and more coverage for us. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, wanted to ask you about something, you know, I'm always thinking about how can, how can anything improve? You know, how, how can it get better? I think golf, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call the, the PGA tour a fringe sport necessarily, but it's not, it's not like, you know, one of the big three yeah. or big four, you know, or, or whatever. So I'm sure they're thinking about it all the time. And one of the things that I've really come to enjoy the past few years is tracker. I call it tracker culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a Harold Varner fan, I follow his, his, his tracker is incredible. I mean, Harold was teeing off at like, I guess, I think the tracker he lives in uh, on the East coast, like about, I think like three thirty AM like every day last week or three days last week. So and this guy was waking up and tracking him. And I mean, he got paid off, you know, the, with, with the win emotionally got paid off, I should say. But my question was, like, are you following these trackers? Like, do you like them? Yeah, what do you think about them? Yeah, uh, so I follow the Steve tracker, and then I used to follow Tiger tracker um, before he vanished. It's, uh, it's interesting because Tiger tracker was obviously the first one, and it had such a following for good reason because it's Tiger. But also, I think it was such – not that it was that long ago when it was still active, but it was such a different time to a certain extent in terms of c- coverage where like it truly was, I think more difficult to follow along with what was going on. And I've always been the type when it comes to my favorite golfers, like a tiger or a speed where like, it, it, it's funny because, you know, with other sports, when you have your favorite team, like you want to watch as many of their games as possible. Right. And so when it comes to golf, like anytime there are moments when I don't get to watch one of my favorite players, like I'm actually upset about it. You know, if I'm working or something like that, that's one thing I can kind of settle with like just checking scores. But, but if I'm like have free time and available and like not able to watch one of my favorite golfers, it's actually quite frustrating. So I definitely do have a lot of memories of, of following tiger tracker and like on Twitter, just like refresh, 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 trying to, you know, see what's going on with him. Uh, the speed one I don't follow nearly as much, and quite frankly, he's on coverage a lot of times anyway. So it's kind of, I, I I can't remember last time I was truly following through through the the Twitter thing. The only thing I can think of maybe is if like I'm in the car with someone on like a road trip or something, and like, for whatever reason I can't watch, but I can still like scroll right. through Twitter and kind of keep up with it. I think it's cool. I think it's I think it's great for for the fans of these individual players. I'd be curious to know how it all works from an operational perspective. Like, are they just like following 
you know, stat tracker or whatever on, on the PGA app or whatever. And just every time a shot goes in, they then say it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Cause like with tiger tracker, it was like, he was physically there all right. around. But right. like, obviously that can't be the case with some of these lower level players that, you know, who would be paying them basically to do that. Um, so I think they're cool. I, I'll admit I haven't seen a ton of other ones. I know Phil's probably got one. I know JT's probably got one. I mean, obviously if, if HV3's got one, then there's got to be a fair amount of other players in that realm that, that might have their own as well. But um, yeah, I think they're cool. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think it's a great way to follow it. Definitely, you know, it's secondary to watching it live. So if you're following one of the main guys, you're going to see a lot of their shots. But you know, if the choice is between opening the PGA Tour app yeah. <laughs> to see how my guy is doing versus going to his tracker's Twitter account, like, it's the tracker Twitter account every time. You get some commentary there. I think right. a lot of times the guys are following the shot link, and then they have their eye on the coverage. So if it does show a shot live, they'll – one, they get fired up. They're like, oh, they're showing they're showing Fleetwood or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. Um, but I think it's great. And honestly, you know, yeah, the Tiger thing kind of set this whole thing in motion. Um, if I was – if I was Harold Varner, I'd, I'd pay for him to come and, and be in the group with me and just tweet yeah. the whole thing. I mean, you yeah. want to grow your fan base, like get this guy right next to you, you know, let people see what it's like, get him off his couch in his mom's basement and wherever back of North Carolina he's, he is and, and right. bring him with you. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what these people do for like the regular job. Um, <laughs> I think this then... guy's a student. I think Harold Varner's one is a student. Cause he said, okay. he's mentioned before, like, you know, Hey, I mean, I got class. So. I'm not be able to watch this all around. Yeah. And definitely for like, yeah, some of the more obvious mainland tournaments, I think that's very doable. Obviously, like, you know, bringing a guy out to Saudi is not going to happen. But, um, but yeah. Never say never, man. I know. (laughs) It's true. Well, I mean, after that paycheck, you never know. Exactly. Okay. This is, this is the last thing that I really had laid out and want to talk about. Not, not as media focused, maybe a little bit. What about the Netflix show? Oh, the Netflix. I'm sorry. I'll admit I don't have very much there, but. Oh, I missed the Netflix. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I've heard the buzz, right? They, Netflix, uh, PJ Tour signed on to do like a, a Drive to Survive type show for for Netflix. When you saw the list of players participating, pretty impressive. I can't say they got everybody, but they got a lot of guys. I've heard reports of just like camera crews everywhere. You looking forward to it? You gonna watch it? Uh, yeah. I mean, will I watch it? Sure. I mean, I'd have to reactivate my Netflix account, but I gave um... you my password, dude. I know, but I have nothing to watch on Netflix right now. Well, having a drive to survive. Never watched it. Um, I'm 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 excited because I love golf and I do like getting a closer glimpse of things. I do feel like, like I feel like with the drive to survive stuff. Obviously, you guys weren't like huge F1 fans prior to to watching that. Maybe you were specifically, but I know some no. of our friends weren't. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I, you know, I, but you, you follow sports very intensely like I do, you know. So oh, I knew they're... you. Like the, like someone asked me who my favorite driver was. I was like, oh, I like this guy, Roseburg. And they're like, yeah, he retired three years ago. So that just yeah. shows you where I was at that point until I watched so the show. What, what I would say is I think, you know, the clear difference between those two situations is obviously with golf, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of who these guys are, especially when it comes to the big names. While, yes, I do really like to see some more behind-the-scenes stuff and kind of some more information on them, it's, I don't think it's going to be all that, like, not that it's not going to be compelling, because I do think it's going to be compelling, but it's not going to be, like, eye-opening. Like, holy shit, I didn't know this guy did that, whatever. At least when it comes to the top, top players. I think the second tier of guys, yes, I think we'll definitely learn some stuff. 
I think a combination of knowing them, a combination of having been to a good number of PGA events now and walking like, and I'm not the type, as I've you know probably mentioned to a lot of people, I don't just sit at holes and watch. I like follow specific players for their entire round. So I'm constantly looking at their mannerisms, how they interact with their the fans, their caddy in general, just kind of their aura, right? Um, and so I do feel like with some of those top, top players, like a Spieth, like a Rom, like a JT, like a Brooks, um, like those are guys that I've watched. I'm on record of saying I have watched more JT in person than anyone else by a landslide. Um, like I've watched him play probably 15 individual rounds on tour, right? And so I feel like that gives me a little bit better sense of like I kind of know what's going on, but at the same time, because I idolize these athletes so much and enjoy these PGA Tour golfers, it will be very fun to kind of see them on a personal level and a mix of the golf and what they're doing. Like, you know, when they're at a tournament on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, right? Hanging out with the fam, playing video games, playing board games, whatever it may be. Um, if we can get some of some of that stuff on there, I think that would definitely be interesting. Yeah, I, I think uh, your outlook on this show being a diehard golf fan is actually pretty similar to what a diehard F1 fans outlook is on drive to survive. I think they, they, they like watching it, you know, sort of companion content to their fandom, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not critical. They like it, but it's not critical. They don't need it to, you know, to, to increase their or peak their interest in the sport. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. I want to go back to Hawaii tournament of champions. I feel like I say this every year. I just love, I love the century tournament of champions. I love the timing of it around the new year. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm dying of laughter whenever they show Stevens point, Wisconsin and yeah. freezing <laughs> and snow covered. And then they show freaking Maui and it's just beautiful. Um, I like the format. I mean, I just, I, I keep on, it, this, I don't know. Tell me this. Let's, is the same format week after week after week get steal for you or you're bought in? You love it. I wouldn't say I love it, but I understand why they do it the way they do it. And I don't necessarily have an issue with it, but I, so I agree with you. I think more formats could help. It just has to be done the right way. Um, I don't know exactly what that way is. I mean, like, for example, the qualifying, like you mentioned, for everyone who's won a tournament, that's awesome. But like that only works for one tournament, right? Like you'd have to think of other kind of fun qualifying things and other qualifying formats other than, hey, if you think won. of them, you could, if you know, these aren't that crazy to think of, you know? Yeah. And the format isn't so different for it's stroke play. There's no cut in stroke play, but the qualifying format is, I don't know, have an all-star right. game. Midway through yeah. the season, have an all-star game with the guys <laughs> playing the best the first half of the season. It's just like, yeah, you know, that, I mean, that, it up a little bit. I think that's a great idea just in itself, what you just mentioned, like a halfway through point, like the top, not as, I mean, maybe keep it a little bit smaller. So it's not like a right, as much of a regular tournament, but give me the top 60 guys on the FedEx cup standings. Just they get to play in this next tournament that is also, again, worth more FedEx cup points, right. um, but kind of the yeah, reward for that. Um, my biggest thing from a format perspective, because even like, if you think about it, like the one team event that they do, the Zurich, like, I don't watch that tournament. And it's, no. nothing against, it's nothing against the Zurich. It's just – and it's not necessarily – like, the format itself is interesting. Like, they play alternate shots sometimes between the two of them. Like, that part's fine. But for whatever reason, it's just, like, not overly interesting, right? Well, there's, um, three, there's three that are different formats, if I, if I have it right. You have the match play, which actually they, they invest a lot into. It's WGC. Yeah. And then they have the team play in Zurich, and they have the Stableford at the Barracuda, and those both yeah. two are, are throwaways. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the Stableford thing would be interesting on a 
tournament that's a little bit more prominent. Um, I, you know, if their fear is that like the average golf fan's not going to understand what's going on, like that's kind of a dumb fear because like all you have to do is Google what Stableford scoring is and it's not that complex. Plus they talk about it on the broadcast all the time. I think the biggest thing is if they can find a way to incorporate match play a little bit more, I think that's the most compelling non-stroke play golf. Obviously, everyone knows about the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup and how fun that is. And obviously, the team element and the, you know, U.S. versus Europe or U.S. versus the world, like that stuff makes it really fun as well. But I just think match play is such a fascinating way to watch golf. And I don't know what that answer is because I do really like like the bracket match play. I think that's a great event. Um, I don't know, you know, how you make it into a team thing or do you do it as a, you know, dual PGA and LPGA event where it's one male, one female and then do a kind of a match play type of situation. Um, so yeah, I think finding a way to incorporate a little bit more match play would be the only thing that I could think of from a format perspective that I'd like to see more of. But yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's just also like it's it's interesting how it's not incorporated more. You know, it's yeah. like, I understand why the NBA in its 82 game regular season schedule doesn't play 10 of the games three on three. Like you know, that's just like an alternative right. version of the sport. <laughs> But, but but match play is a very acceptable way to play golf, and um, yeah. you know, for the first part of its history, one of the majors was the U.S. Amateur, and that was match play. And so, I definitely think incorporating that more in some bigger events would be great. And also, you know, they take more chances. You know, the the John Deere Classic, the Rocket Mortgage, the Valspar. These aren't these yeah. you know historical events with all these tradition. Mix it up a little bit. Take some chances and and see yeah. what sticks and you know if things don't work you can revert back um but if things do work maybe you catch something yeah i agree and i'd be curious to know if those individual tournaments like if it's all driven by the fact that like obviously you've got your title sponsor and you've got the course that's hosting the, the tournament and things like that i just am curious if they think to themselves we want to do the status quo that everyone else does because this gives us the best opportunity to get the strongest field and therefore make the most money, get the most fan interest, things like that. Even though I think switching it up would gain some fan interest and things like that. I wonder if like, they're all kind of collectively worried, like, well, if we're the ones that kind of stick our neck out and try to change things, we're already not like a super prominent tournament. Will that just result in even less, you know, profits and and fan interest and things like that? Who knows? I say take the risk. I think one of my biggest things that I would love to see change. And obviously it's not on a yearly basis on the PGA tour. So it's a small little thing, but I think the Olympics being a match play event would be awesome. And I created a Google sheet several years back, whenever it first came to Rio de Janeiro, I forget what Olympics that was. You'd probably know, but that was the 2016 um, games. Yeah. I had this whole format. I think I still have on a, a note on my phone, like the qualifying, the whole deal. I, remember I this. thought it would have been awesome to do. 64 teams, each country, each team is two people from the same country. You have a max of like, say, four or five teams per country. So you can only have four U.S. teams, something like that. So it cuts off them. Uh, but just incorporating so many different things from, a, um, you know, a, a Sung J.M. and Sung Kang playing together or Siwoo Kim or whatever from South Korea and Rory and Graham McDowell because they're the only ones from Northern Ireland or you know, Seamus Power and Shane Lowry or, you know, whatever it may be, just that kind of not only having the little team element element of it, of, of having twosomes, two guys play against two guys, but also with the nationality thing, kind of vibes of Ryder Cup there as well. 
Um, I just think that would have been really awesome. Uh, and I understand, like, I, from what I've heard from the No Laying Up podcast and things like that, the only way that golf was able to get into the Olympics is to create basically their most plain, you know, 72-hole stroke play event because that's, you know, what decides a true champion, if you will. Um, but I think now that they've been in it a couple times, now is when a little bit more innovation can happen. So now are you implying that, that the IOC basically said you can come in as a sport, but you can't be playing some weird alternative? Is that what the from, implication is? From because what because I, let me tell you, Andrew, I don't know if you've been caught watching any of the Winter Olympics. They, it is like every single time I turn, you know, every four years I turn this thing on, there is some new sport going on. Yes. And and that does seem, seem to Which I don't mind, which I don't mind, right? Like, I don't mind that it's, you know, uh, snowboard cross where it's half tricks, half speed. Like, I don't mind. But it's just like, let's not hold golf to a different standard, please. Yes, I agree. All, all I heard, again, this is just from like listening to some podcasts talking about it, was I think the IOC basically presented the question of like, how do you determine a champion in your sport type of thing? Like, what is the format? And so the PGA Tour naturally said, we play 72-hole events, 18 holes each day. So, you know, our tournaments vary in size between whatever, 60 dudes and 150, whatever. Um, so from whatever I heard, I, again, I don't remember the exact story, but basically their main path into getting into the Olympics was starting with the very basics. And then I think down the road, I don't know if they're actually looking to innovate it more, but I think people were thinking maybe once they've been established for a couple of Olympics, then they can start talking about kind of shifting up how they determine that champion, if you will, or yeah. the best golfer. Now, with that all said, I mean, I thought the Rio golf was was a disaster. I thought it looked terrible on television. Yeah. I thought the course was awful. Uh, and I that one also... was weird with a bunch of people like withdrawing and stuff because of the Zika. Players. I remember that. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. Um, but I do have to say, uh, and, and maybe not because of stroke play or maybe not even because of spite of it, but having in Japan a golf craze nation and, you know, having uh, Matsuyama, I, I think he ended up fourth, but he was down down to the wire yeah i don't think did he medal i don't think he medaled no. uh, this year yeah no he but he was part of the like nine man playoff for right bronze. right <laughs> i think he, awesome. i think and i think he like missed the putt maybe for braun so he was in it you have xander who had like who has japanese grandparents uh there yeah. um was it anami uh on the women's side and i remember seeing in the background you know there was no fans unfortunately but you had all the volunteers or whoever the employees were allowed to do it and they were all there watching on 18 as these matches are coming down to the wire. So despite yeah. the format not being so exciting, I do think, you know, moving it from a country like, you know, Brazil, you can't even name the best Brazilian golfer to somewhere like Japan where they just love the sport made a yeah. huge difference. I agree. And I thought the course was cool. I think that's the hard part. It's obviously so specific to what nation is hosting the Olympics that I think you could, even with a plain stroke play event. Now, granted, there's not that many guys, but like, obviously for lack of a better example, if the U S was hosting the Olympics, you could very much do it where it's at this like badass course that we all know pretty well. And yes, it would resemble somewhat of a PGA tour event, but with the stakes being so much higher, I do think they could get kind of a perfect combo of fan interest. And so if I throw out a hypothetical, let me throw out a hypothetical for you. Would, would, would Riviera and Los Angeles meet those qualifications for you? It would. Um, it's funny. I, I hate to cite the no laying up guys, but that's the only golf podcast I listen to. 
they're obsessed with Riviera. They're also like the biggest golf course snobs in the world. It's hilarious to me. Like they'll just be so anti so many like really cool courses. And it's like, oh, but Riviera, oh, how awesome would that be? I'm like, Riviera looks like any other golf course to me, but like, sure. Um, <laughs> well, it wasn't a hypothetical. 2028, the Olympics are coming to LA and Riviera is right. going to host the golf tournament. Okay. I, I, I had a feeling. <laughs> Yeah, I, so, I knew uh, I knew LA was hosting. You know, you know my theory on this, uh, Arthur. I think that the U.S. should host the Olympics, basically every other Olympics. I didn't know um, that actually. I did. Not yeah, it's just it's just so funny to me. And of course, I'm naive. Of course, I don't. I barely even watch the Olympics as it is, so I could care less. But I just think it's so funny, or even the World Cup stuff too, when it's like, oh, you know, the Zika virus down in Brazil. Obviously, COVID's a, a global thing, but still, COVID in Asia, um, the World Cup in Qatar in 2022 with the heat and all this stuff, and you know, people dying trying to create all these buildings. I'm like, hey, you want to know a country that's got a shit ton of stadiums and hotels that could host some sports? We got some. Bring it over here. Like, it would just eliminate so many issues, even though I understand that they want to get everyone involved and all that stuff. But I'm just like, yo, we're literally built to host mega sporting events at all times. I mean, I was I was petitioning for it, this Tokyo Olympics, and, you know, they did their best or whatever. After the COVID started, I was just like, move it to Dallas, man. Yeah. You'll have exactly. full stadiums, no restrictions. Just yeah. They got everything you need. It takes three months. Just move the whole thing to Dallas. Yeah. Plus, I can't – fuck, I can't remember a fucking – olympics or world i mean i'm sure there has been but i can't remember an olympics or world cup where like it works well timing wise it's obviously selfish as a u.s fan but you know what i mean like there's been some tough time zone challenges with some of these even even when it was like in vancouver there was still a lot of um you know 2010 there was still a lot of tape delay stuff and yeah that's you know, they, they made it a lot easier now with the streaming to kind of you know you look up the times of your things i think there's curling on at 10 p.m tonight i know it's on at 10 i can watch there it right at 10. yeah so so that's good. Okay. So the, actually the the women's golf, I think I remember, I think there was a storm coming in. So I remember like Nellie Corda in her final round going for gold. She like teed it up around like 6 p.m. West Coast time. So back to this yeah. whole century thing. I freaking love it. What can we do to get a U.S. Open in Hawaii? Just hear me out, okay? The <laughs> scenery would be insane. The guys would love it. You know, maybe it'd be a little bit too much tourism. I don't know if like the, the islands want so much, but you could get a lot of locals there. And I'm talking about on a summer night in June, primetime golf, five o'clock on the West Coast, eight o'clock on the East Coast. I mean, let's, let's call it four and seven. The uh, the golfers tee off, final group Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. Like, can we do this? Yeah. What, what do the no game up guys have to say about that? I've never heard them discuss that. Um, all I'd say is that the USGA seems to avoid the West Coast. <laughs> as much as they can when it comes to these u.s opens so that's kind of just a deterrent in itself like even getting them in california seems difficult which is funny because we have just as good of courses as a florida or the east or whatever but um i think the only thing would be finding a course that fits the u.s open mold because it's obviously not kapalua it's way too easy um sony can also be pretty easy as well but there are plenty of golf courses in hawaii i obviously don't know them but i have to imagine they can find one that presents or at least can be molded to present the challenge of the super thick rough the crazy fast greens things like that right those are kind of the staples of of u.s open golf i think it would just be a matter of finding the right course i don't i think it would be fine like you know obviously in a post-covid world from the tourism perspective like 
why I don't get why Hawaii would be upset that like they're hosting a big event that a bunch of people would fly out there for. You know what I mean? No, like, no, you're they right. They thrive off right. of tourism. That's a big part of their economy as well. Also, like you know, how many people you know truly go to U.S. Opens? Like, I don't think it would be that crazy compared to kind of the normal tourism boom in Hawaii. Um, and obviously there would be plenty of locals that would go, but yeah, I think the biggest thing would just be a matter. I don't think they would have a problem with like primetime golf and all that kind of stuff. I think the biggest thing would just be finding a course that they fit, um, that they deem fit for a U.S. open basically. And I know they're pretty strict on that front. Yeah, no, I, yeah, maybe I was thinking too much for the tourism part and I'm sure they could handle it. I, you know, the truth is if you're playing at places like, um, Shinnecock and Pinehurst and Aaron Hills, like these places are not easy to get to. Right. Um, and so if, if they're able to sort of handle it from an infrastructure standpoint, I'm sure Hawaii too. And I just think it'd be great to have a lot of uh, locals involved. And I hear what you're saying about the yeah. courses. Um, they could find one, you know, I think Kapalua also for spectators Either. wouldn't be good enough. Correct. That's a brutal course to, to watch. As, as but I would but, sacrifice um, some of the exact conditions, you know, if it was good for spectators, yeah. look good on television. And um, I mean, got a primetime slot. Quite, quite frankly, fucking get the usga to pair up with some you know good designers and all that you could like just like aaron hills was built for the us open like you could legitimately build your own course exactly how you want it in hawaii for the pure reason you ever see the descendants no Is that a movie? oh man yeah great movie george clooney i don't know if it's great good movie george clooney they're like selling <laughs> the family land for a hotel to be developed i was just thinking like how great would the plot have been if like they're selling the family land to get like a us open quality course developed I think that'd be awesome. Get a U.S. Open quality course, and then like from time to time, have it host the Ryder Cup and the uh, Presidents Cup as well. All Especially right, the Presidents to... Cup because that's kind of a nice little like in between Asia and the mainland type of thing. Definitely and... neutral site. Yeah. All right. That's well, I'll get in touch. With... Yeah, I'll get in touch with my land developer really? friends. Where's it? Quail Perfect. Hollow. Where's Quail the... Hollow? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It should be interesting, honestly. I mean, as much as the U.S. is obviously going to be massive favorites on paper, the international team does have some really good players. So, and and it's golf, so like you never know what's going to happen. But I mean, just with your, you know, your Cam Smiths, your Hideki's, your uh, your South African players, I, I think there's a fair amount of talent these days on the international team. Okay. We need Hao Tong Lee to come back, though. That's big. Okay, Hao Tong Lee. <laughs> For the president, sorry, I got distracted, Andrew. We need to look, where is he? Come back from where? Just like be a relevant golfer again. Like he was a very rosterable player for several years in our league, and now he's like not even close. I think on the back nine of Harding, when he was you know in contention on Saturday in the PGA Championship, and he hit that ball in the tree, and it got lost, and he never found it. Somehow the golf ball and his game. <laughs> His game went just, in there too. Just takes one shot. One shot. That's all I got, man. What what a great show. Thank you. Uh thank you for having me as a guest. Of course. Thank you for coming on. Um, last question, Art. Yeah. Super Bowl prediction. You know, I, I don't have one yet. Uh the I, I, I arrive in Arizona tomorrow night late. There's legal sports betting there. And I think I will between, you know, Friday and Saturday craft my vision. For how I think the game will be played out, and then I'll I'll, I'll put my bets down. But um, you know, one thing I will say, it's rooting for the Bengals. Well, I, I don't care. I mean, I don't like LA. Obviously, that's sort of in my blood. It's part of my ethos. Um, but you know, I thought Matt Stafford was a loser. I really did. I thought he lost a lot of games. He had some talented players. I know he was on a 
probably the worst franchise in, in, in National Football League. But uh, yeah, he has a chance to change my opinion. He certainly has not yet, right? Like, you know, he's gone as far as Jared Goff, and we all know what public opinion is about him. But um, I, I don't think just getting here is, is enough for Stafford. Okay, he's won some playoff games now, but, uh, you know, this is sort of a big moment for him in his career. I agree. Isn't it kind of funny, the irony that you'll be in Scottsdale for another bachelor party when the Rams are in the Super Bowl? It is funny. You know, it's funny. <laughs> that was, was literally the worst game I've ever seen. Yeah. Also, I was I was watching the Saban Belichick uh, piece on HBO, which was fun, and I had to remind myself that the Rams and Patriots faced each other twice in my lifetime in the Super Bowl. That was that was number two. Interesting. What was, now, the, first what one, was the other year? It was the first one for the Pats, like 01 with with Kurt Warner and the St. Louis. Yeah, Rams. yeah. But yeah, you know, that was Ram Pats too. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I think I'm still getting over the Niners being so close to. Uh, having a chance to come yeah. back and you know like as a Niners fan you kind of you want to have the most man and you know they have five right now what I think the is it the Pats is it the Pats Steelers and Cowboys have six or maybe just Pats and Steelers Brady himself has seven so like when you get this close and stuff like I'm trying to think like I'm thinking about the overall lead and you know yeah. they've I've seen him now lose two Super Bowls in the last decade uh, you know that would have been seven this was another chance to get close so they're still hanging around there but um yeah, neither the Rams nor the uh, Bengals are a threat to the overall. I think the Bengals have zero and the Rams have one. So uh, usually I pick so the, the team that say. has less. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Well, uh, yeah, I'll be rooting for the Bengals. Yeah. I okay, Bengals, that was my question. Yeah. With either result. I, if I were a betting man, I would for sure bet Bengals money line and or to cover. Um, but I won't be upset with either result. Um, I do like Stafford. I like Odell a lot. I like Cup a lot. So, all good. Yeah, great team. Donald seems awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, great, great team. Yeah, I, I got to see what the, sort of like the promotions are for the prop bets and those sort of things and then combine that with my vision. And, you know, then yeah. sort of like uh, Alan and the hangover, I'll see all the mathematical formulas and it'll all yeah. come to me and I'll, <laughs> I'll lock it in. Love that. Love that. Well, thank you for coming on, Arthur. And I hope you have a great rest of your evening. Thank you so much. You as well. Peace. Later.